You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 34 of Ask Concussion Doc. I am your host, Dr. Cameron Marshall. Today, we're talking about a very important topic as it is Bell Let's Talk Day. For those of you not in Canada, uh, this is where one of our telecommunications company, uh, Bell, donates five cents for every text message sent by a Bell customer. Any tweet with the Bell Let's Talk hashtag, so you guys might be seeing that a lot today on Twitter. Uh, Instagram video watch of the Bell Let's Talk video, um, as well as use of the Bell Let's Talk Facebook frame. I haven't set mine up yet, but I'm about to. Uh, or if you use Snapchat, if you use this, the Bell Let's Talk filter in any of your Snapchats, Bell will be donating five cents for every single one of those. They are not sponsoring this podcast, uh, but hopefully they donate something on our behalf for taking this topic on. Uh, so obviously today we're going to be talking about concussions and mental health, a very important topic. Concussion has been linked with depression, anxiety, increased risk of suicide, and a host of other problems that could be considered mental health or behavioral problems in a way such as ADHD. Um, the media has most of us believing that it is concussions that cause these problems. However, I'm going to go into a little bit of the science on things and kind of what is the status of the scientific literature regarding these things. Do we have any causative information? One disclaimer before I start is that I am not a mental health professional. Um, please seek professional help if you uh, are suffering from any type of mental health issue. Don't take this as advice coming from me. This is simply my uh, interpretation of the stance and status of the scientific literature at this point in time. You, one thing I do want to say though is that you are not alone. There are a lot of people that are going through this and there is help out there. Um, so please talk to somebody. It's initiatives like the Bell Let's Talk Day that I think get people talking about it and openly discussing it, um, which helps to remove the stigma and you know normalize um, what this is in terms of mental health. So uh, I will start my podcast with that. So the first big question when it comes to concussions and mental health is one of causation. Okay, there's a lot of things where we'll find studies or we'll hear media reports of links between this and that. But unfortunately, a link doesn't help us to determine what caused what. So we can't say that because concussions have been linked with depression that concussion by itself causes depression. We can say that the two things may be correlated, but how do we know that depressed people weren't more likely to get concussed in the first place, right? So we don't know what the relationship is if one caused the other. And I think that's where a lot of the difficulty in the concussion landscape as we know it right now stands. What caused one thing or the other? And especially when you're talking about something so complex as mental health, the the, the nuances of uh, or the amount of, of life events that can go into creating um, somebody who may be depressed or, or have anxiety, um, that type of thing. There's 
so many factors such as lifestyle, genetics, uh, alcohol, uh, what their diet's like, their relationships, their social network, their occupation, their age, their levels of stress. You can go on and on and it's so multifactorial that to narrow it down to one cause, i.e. concussion, I think is a little bit um, ill-advised. Concussion could be on the list of potential causes of this, but to say that concussion causes depression unilaterally, I think is a little bit premature. There are a lot of people with anxiety, depression, and other mental health conditions that have absolutely no history of concussion. On the flip side, we have many people that have had a history of concussion or have played professional sports and had concussions throughout their careers that do not have depression, anxiety, those types of things. So I think that saying that concussions cause this, um, I don't think we're there yet. However, there is a potential association and I think that it definitely um, does not help the situation. So there's, it's very difficult to identify a single cause for mental health. Um, and that's kind of where I want to start. So I, I went back through some of the literature in this topic and I'm going to look first at CTE, which is the professional sports kind of world. Uh, there's some military vets that have, that have been diagnosed with it as well. But most, for the most part, it's been professional former NFL players that are diagnosed with CTE, which is um, a neurodegenerative condition that is attributed to a buildup of a certain type of protein in the brain. And that protein comes from the breakdown of uh, tissue of, 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 of brain cells as they break down they can form these aggregates of, of tau protein and this is what we're finding in the brains of, of former professional athletes now that science I think has a long way to go in and of itself and that's a topic for another day I think I've covered it before uh, on this podcast or at least in, in other podcast interviews that I've been involved with but CTE in terms of a diagnosis we know that there's protein deposition in the brain we have no idea what put it there the theory is that it's caused by repetitive head trauma but there are other things that can put tau protein in someone's brain um, they've even found people that have uh, different BMIs can can cause uh, different variations of tau protein in the brain uh, people that use opioid medications which is a, a common class of painkiller that's used in professional sports um, alcohol and other drugs uh, there's it's been linked with anabolic steroid use there's a whole bunch of things that could potentially cause tau protein buildup so we don't even know if it's concussions or head trauma that's causing the findings that we're seeing in these former athletes but the symptoms and signs of CTE are very non-specific depression aggression um, suicidality um, there's a whole host of symptoms that are that are in the mental health realm that get tagged on to CTE and the common thing for the media to do is to start blaming it on concussions right but we have to look at all the other factors that play into this so um, we cannot make causative claims so I just want to say that okay so in 2007 there was a study by Kevin Guskowitz and his crew and they looked at the um, lifelong prevalence of diagnoses of depression in former professional football players and they found that the incidence rate was 11% so 11% of this large sample I think it was about 2500 people former NFL players reported that they had a current or previous diagnosis of depression now 11% is high however this is actually less 
than the rate of depression in the general population. The general population has a rate of depression of about 16.5% and that's lifetime prevalence. So almost 20% of people at some point in their life, and I'm sure those numbers have increased since this study was done, will have um, a bout of, of depression. And the big takeaway here though is people that played professional football actually have a lower risk of depression than people in the general population. I think that kind of surprises people a lot of times. Next, if we look at suicide, CTE is attributed to the suicide deaths of former athletes. When we actually look at the rate of suicide, we find that former NFL players are actually less likely to commit suicide than members of the general population, men of their same age category. And so I think this is another thing that needs to be taken with a grain of salt is just because you hear it in the media because it's a celebrity um, or, or somebody that you know used to play prof professional sports, somebody that's well known, it's going to get talked about in the media, but you don't hear about all the other cases that are happening around you um, of, of this particular thing. So the other takeaway here is that suicide is actually less likely in former uh, professional athletes. Drugs I already mentioned, opiates, um, opioid use uh, has been known to, to create tau deposition in the brain and if we're gonna say that tau deposition in the brain is the cause of depression and aggression and rage and all these other things, we know that opioids cause the tau protein so what? how much do we know about the long-term use of opioids on the mental health of an individual. Actually, opioid use is considered to be three times higher in former NFL players than it is in the general population. And we know that, that, that opioid use can create and cause tau protein deposition in the brain. So again, are we looking at concussions? Are we looking at pain and trauma that's been suffered over the lifespan of somebody's athletic career? Are we looking at something else? Another big thing to take into consideration here is retirement. Some of the hardest times in people's lives are big life changes. So it's, you know, graduation, marriage, divorce, birth of a child, death of a child, death of a loved one, death of a spouse, uh, and retirement from your job. So because of those big life changes, people often go through these overwhelming periods and that can cause depression and anxiety and, and, some, and a host of other things that can happen. But now when you change that to the professional sports realm, and can you imagine retiring in your late 20s, early 30s, when your entire identity up to this point has been, I am a professional football player, I am an athlete, I am a hockey player, and now all of a sudden you're 30 and you're not that anymore. I used to be a hockey player, I used to be a football player, and maybe you were forced into retirement. Maybe you got cut from the team, maybe you had injuries and you couldn't compete anymore or whatever, and you're forced into retirement and forced to leave the thing you love. How much does that cause some of these mental health issues? But if you've had a series of concussions, based on what the media is kind of creating, people will now start to, to say that it's concussions, it's concussions, it's concussions. And I think that's the wrong approach and I'm gonna explain why as I go. There is a substantial link between suicide and factors experienced by suffering a loss of identity. We not only see this in athletes, but there's also, this has been, this has been seen in farmers and also military personnel. When you're either discharged from the military, you've done a couple tours, you've maybe, you're a little bit older and, and you're out, now what? I've always been a soldier. I've always been, uh, you know, in, in the Marines or whatever it may be. So that type of thing is the loss of identity. And I'm just gonna share some quotes with you 
to uh, kind of explain this a little bit further here. But I have the first quote is from Nate Jackson, who's a former NFL player. And he, um, he wrote an article called Life After Concussions. And I want to read the, the final kind of paragraph here. But he says, I watched the PBS Frontline documentary. So there was a documentary a few years ago that came out looking at concussions in, in, in football. Scary crap to be confronted with. Football brains being sliced open and containing CTE. Scary and not at all healthy for me going forward. Now I'm familiar with the intricacies of a debate that suggests that my friends and I are probably screwed, statistically speaking. But it's hard to move on, because here I am writing about brain injuries, putting it all into my mind, giving me twisted thoughts. And I swear that when I read about CTE or watch a story about it on TV, I feel an electrical current shoot through my brain. I forgot where my keys are. Is that life or is that CTE? I can't find a job. Must be the Tau pro protein buildup. I am sad and I am depressed and suicidal thoughts like raindrops come down on the from the sky on seemingly sunny afternoons. Is this science or the realization that my life peaked in my 20s? I have no skills other than football and no idea what else to do. So now this is taken from a former player and if you listen to some of this stuff that he's saying is he is this just life is this kind of stuff that everybody goes through or is this because i have some cte now if you're looking at cte and the state of the literature on it, and it says there's no cure there's nothing that can be done about it that's going to feel very overwhelming to you and very anxiety provoking okay but a lot of this stuff is just general life stressors and especially following retirement so don't automatically attribute this situation to CTE or an incurable brain disease okay this could be depression anxiety and other things and so if you are experiencing this type of thing this is a mental health situation okay there is a way out people get help every day and I don't want people to be thinking that I have CTE it's incurable I'm done for because we've also had players commit suicide and have donated their brains and then we find out that their brain does not contain CTE. But they've driven themselves so far in thinking that they do and there's no way out that this was the answer that they chose. And so I want everyone to really consider this fact that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an incurable brain disease. You could be depressed, you could have anxiety. There are treatments for these conditions. Okay, another quote. Uh, this one actually is from, a, from a, an excerpt that was done uh, looking at CTE. Uh, this is from a, from, a, from a doctor. The problem is further compounded by the fact that providers, meaning healthcare providers, because we as healthcare providers don't know a lot about concussion, and so we're watching the same media that everyone else is watching. And unless you're taking an in-depth look at the research like we do, you're not gonna be able to have these informed conversations with your patients. And so here's this doctor talking about the problem being with not only the media, but also from healthcare professionals. So listen to this. The problem is further compounded by the fact that providers are subject to the same media sensationalism surrounding CTE, and few are positioned to take on the sort of rigorous review and analysis of the CTE literature presented here. Hence, providers across settings, such as emergency rooms, primary care clinics, mental health clinics, are likely to be unprepared to provide the very education required to ameliorate anxiety born of media hyperbole and thereby inadvertently to collude with patients and perpetuate the very anxiety driving their symptoms. The fact that education 
is among the best of the evidence-based interventions for preventing poor outcomes after mild TBI, which is concussion, makes this situation untenable and illustrates the vital importance of correcting misunderstanding regarding, uh, regarding TBI and CTE among both public and health professionals. So again, this is propagated a lot of times by healthcare professionals. So make sure you find somebody who knows the research that specializes in concussion management and can have these conversations with you. The other one we're gonna talk about here is a, a review paper of just factors influencing CTE. And this section I'm talking about is adjusting to retirement. So professional athletes often possess strong personal identification with their jobs and subsequently are subject to many unique challenges upon retirement from athletic careers, which occurs quite early compared to most professions. For employed individuals and especially athletes, retirement is an inevitable but important life event that can have a profound positive and negative effect on psychological, emotional, and cognitive adaptation. Individuals vary broadly in their ability to adjust to new post-career roles, and there are several contributing um, and interacting factors that predict success in navigating this transition. A study of retirement community dwelling adults in both independent and assisted living facilities found that engaging in higher levels of activity was the most substantial predictor of higher functioning. Complete retirement leads to a 5 to 6% decline in mental health, which is linked with declines in physical activity and social interactions. Involuntary retirement amplifies these negative effects. So how much of what we're seeing in professional sports and former athletes is concussions and how much is other stressors that happen upon retirement such as being involuntarily retired from your identity as an athlete as a whatever and now um, ha having all these other things like inactivity and everything else that goes with it. Uh, this is important to note for professional athletes because retirement in this population is frequently determined by unanticipated events such as injuries or being cut from the team, necessitating a relatively quick retirement decision rather than a carefully planned process. Indeed, Lavallee et al. surveyed 48 elite Australian athletes and found that those reporting involuntary retirement had greater difficulty with emotional and social adjustments after retirement. Average age of retirement in the NFL is 28. As many as 78% of NFL players experience financial distress after retirement. How much does that factor? A study in France found that each additional year that you would work and delay retirement, there is a 3.2% decreased risk of dementia. In a survey of 3,300 retired NFL players, 27% indicated that they had trouble with the transition to life after professional football. The presence of chronic pain and depression exacerbated those difficulties. So in summary on the CTE front, the best evidence we have so far suggests that we have a lower risk of depression and a lower risk of suicide in, in former professional athletes. I think we should be examining all the factors that factor into an athlete's transition from, from professional athlete into the retirement phase. Um, I think that leagues should be making it a priority to assist with this transition. Um, and I think that we have to make sure that athletes are well taken care of and have access to all the resources they need. Um, and we as care providers, friends, family, um, we should not assume that a mental health condition is due to concussions or some uncurable brain disease, but rather look for the things that can help them, uh, including there's a lot of research on cognitive behavioral therapy. There's a lot of evidence on mindfulness-based meditation and assisting with concussion symptoms, as well as education 
in-depth education from a qualified health professional to be able to kind of tell you what the state of the literature is and help to ease your mind. So that's on CTE. This is an important topic, so I wanted to really dive into it. Okay, now we talk about persistent concussion symptoms. So I know that many of you watching probably are suffering from chronic concussion symptoms and have been going to vestibular therapy and visual therapy and being seen by a chiropractor and doing all this and that. And one of the five main causes of persistent symptoms, aside from blood flow and autonomic nervous system disruption, metabolic, inflammatory, hormonal, visual, vestibular, neck, the fifth one on that list is psychological. And this can be related to both pre- and post-injury factors. And I'll talk about the pre-injury first, and then I'll follow up with the post-injury. But one of the most predictive factors for who will go on to have persistent concussion symptoms, uh, meaning symptoms lasting longer than a month or three months, depending on what criteria you use, pre-existing, before the injury, having a history of anxiety and depression significantly increases your likelihood that you're going to go on to have persistent concussion symptoms. This is possibly due to symptom overlap because a lot of the symptoms that people experience uh, like dizziness, confusion, trouble concentrating, trouble focusing, trouble remembering are also the same as what you'd experience in somebody that had anxiety. You, it's tough to concentrate when you have you know, anxiety and there's a lot of things going on. 21% uh, of college athletes report depression symptoms when they're healthy. So this now makes it even more difficult to figure out was this concussion related or was this a pre-existing condition that led to this situation. Uh, ADHD has been linked with concussion and for years we assumed that it was people with concussion having an increased prevalence of ADHD but actually what we found recently is that it's the reverse. People with ADHD are more likely to get concussed and I think that's where the link actually is. And so you can see how causative research becomes very difficult to conduct because we have two things, but we don't know if one caused the other or not. Coping styles also matter. If you have poor coping behaviors, you are more likely to do things that don't help your recovery, like sit in a dark room, like hide from your symptoms, like feel as though there's nothing that can be done. High adapters, so I'm going to compare high and low adapters. High adapters perceive their ability to get through the injury as high, and they generally do recover in a normal trajectory. However, low adapters perceive their ability as low to recover. And this is influenced by a whole bunch of different things. One is the perceived recovery duration. Does the patient believe that this is going to take a long time or a short time? Uh, perceived control of the injury or illness. Do they believe there's something they can do about it to help themselves? Uh, and then number three is the degree of understanding of the injury. How well do they understand what's happening to them and what can be done to help them? I think this is where we as clinicians can come in with our education and really set the groundwork to make sure that we're optimizing a patient's recovery. Can we explain to them the injury itself so that they do have a high degree of understanding of the injury? Can we tell them about perceived recovery duration or expected recovery duration? Can we tell them about their control over the illness that they should start being active and getting out there and doing things and not hiding and sitting in darkness and wearing sunglasses and doing all these negative behaviors which prolong their situation. We need to be empowering patients and helping to push them forward and I think this will change low adapters to high adapters because I don't believe this to be a necessarily inherent thing that can't be fixed or helped in any way. Now, so that's on the pre-injury side of things. Now on the post-injury side of things, we have um, we have symptom similarities between depression and anxiety. I had a patient, for example, this is a few months ago now, 
well, this is probably going back six months or so when he started seeing me, um, was traveling a great distance to see me, had been to vision therapy and all this other stuff. And, you know, I got him exercising and that lowered his symptoms down quite a bit because he was able to exercise. He's an active guy. And then we got him out of the sunglasses and we got him doing, you know, all sorts of other type of, of stuff, getting back into cognitive stuff. But he always kind of had this, this level where he couldn't penetrate. He couldn't get beyond this level of symptoms where he was always around, you know, at 25 to 30. And I kept suggesting or having talks with him about the mental health aspect of concussion and how anxiety and depression can weigh heavily on these things and that he should be including um, the mental health component as part of his care. He should be seeing a therapist. He should be talking to psychologists. In, in extreme situations, he may want to try a, a course of, 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 of um, meds or, or, or something else to, to help him along. And so we kind of had these conversations and talked about it and finally uh, he did that. He went and saw a psychiatrist and they prescribed him with an antidepressant. He came back two months later and he was a, a completely different person. Symptom scores zero. I feel really good. I feel great. I don't have any more symptoms, anything like that. But it took me probably three months of suggesting that these things can, can cause your symptoms, can contribute to your symptoms. And this person has the, the, the stigma surrounding it. Well, I don't, I don't want to do that. No, it's not that. It's not that. It's not that. And probably many of you out there listening being like, no, it's not that. I don't have anxiety, right? But these things can evolve over time. And the symptoms look very similar to that that you're probably experiencing with concussion. And so I would encourage you to explore that avenue of, you know, how is your mental health? Is there you know, an anti-anxiety medication you might want to take? Can you go into talk therapy? Can you try group sessions? Because that type of stuff is extremely helpful for people with persistent concussion symptoms. Uh, another thing kind of on that note is we have three brain networks. We have our default mode network, which is our constant self-talk when you're not doing anything, when you're kind of daydreaming, you're not paying attention to what you're doing, you're thinking about what you got to get for groceries or what you're going to make for dinner or you're just kind of driving and your mind is just wandering. That's your default mode. Then you have what's called the executive network. When you have a task at hand, when I'm right now speaking to you and I'm trying to focus on what I'm saying and talking to you, I'm not thinking about anything else but what I'm talking about. Now, then you have the salience network which allows you to work between those two networks. So you have your default mode network, then you have what's called your executive network which is your focused network. People with concussion and persistent concussion symptoms, they can't shut one off for the other one. So when a healthy person who's working and doing this stuff, they shut off their default mode network and they're focused completely 100% on their executive network. Somebody that has a concussion that's unable to focus and concentrate, they can't shut off the default mode network. So as they're trying to focus, their default mode network keeps coming in, right? So now they're unable to perform the task they're trying to, whether it be trying to remember, trying to focus on what somebody's saying in a conversation, uh, trying to remember what they were supposed to do uh, later in the day, or whatever it may be, focusing on their work. Because both of these networks are active at the same time and they keep crossing with each other and so it gets very confusing for the patient that has these symptoms they can't focus it also burns twice as much energy because now you have two brain networks being run at the same time and so if you can't shut them off and you're burning all that energy you have easy fatigability where you start your work day you're trying to get back into it, but after two hours you're just exhausted wiped you can't continue is that you know concussion or is that the fact you have both of these networks going 
both of these networks going at the same time has also been found in people with generalized anxiety. So they have the same issues. I can't shut my brain off. I can't focus on what I need to do because there's so much going on. I can't sleep at night. All these things are symptoms of anxiety. People with chronic stress and chronic pain have the same thing. They have these two networks active at the same time, right? So now you have these persistent concussion symptoms. Or do you have an anxiety issue that can be helped, that we can get treatment for? that we can shut this down, we can calm this down, we can now allow you to switch between these two networks and something that you can work on. And that might just be straight up anxiety. So let's not continue to propagate the idea that I have a concussion, I can't focus, it's my, it's my brain problem. But what else could be under the surface that's out there? Because there's help out there, okay? There's these five main causes and one of them, which I think is involved in every single case regardless, is going to be the psychological side of things. And the, the sooner we can take care of that, the better you're going to be. PTSD is a major driver of concussion symptoms. We know in studies that you have somebody with a concussion and somebody with a concussion plus PTSD, the patient with PTSD and the concussion is going to have much more prolonged symptoms than the patient with just concussion. So the P, if, if it's concussion that's causing this and concussion alone, we would expect to see the same recovery trajectory no matter what, but we don't. Once you throw in the PTSD side of things, it becomes much more substantial and the symptoms take longer because of the mental health component. Here's a quote from a study. This is from C. Gev et al. At tw uh, in 2016, and their conclusion of their particular study they were looking at, which was on PTSD, for example, is, it is possible that persistent PCS, which is post-concussion syndrome, reflects more a general expression of accident-related emotional distress rather than being a direct result of the injury. And this is kind of what I'm saying. It's everything else compounded. You're dealing with your insurance. You got lawyers involved. You got all this, you got a whiplash. You got multiple injuries. You broke your arm. The stress of that, the anxiety, you keep seeing the flashback of the accident that's happened. How much of that continues to drive the symptoms that you're experiencing? Let's consider it. And also it's our fault as healthcare providers because what we've been t telling people to do for the past 20, 30 years is sit in a dark room. Don't talk to anybody. Don't go socialize with your friends. Don't watch TV. That'll mess your brain up. Don't read books. Don't go to work. Take two weeks off. Social isolation. Darkness. Okay? You've now completely medicalize this condition to no benefit. And we're actually finding that the people that get told that advice do worse than people that get told, start exercising, start going to school, start going to work, do what you can. If you get symptoms, take a break, but don't isolate, don't cocoon, don't hold yourself back. And I think that us as healthcare professionals have created a lot of the problems that we're currently seeing. And it's because of the management that's been done. All right, conclusion. It's a little bit longer than I typically go, but I think it's an important topic and I wanted to cover it because I know that there's a lot of you out there that are watching. Some of you may not agree with me and you don't necessarily have to, but I'm encouraging you to explore the possibility of the mental health side of things and that I think will help you recover. So you are less likely to have depression. You are less likely to commit suicide if you played uh, in the NFL, which I think is an important factor that we can, I think that's something to celebrate that, you know, we, we, don't necessarily have this crazy problem. I think that there's other factors at play that may, we may be able to help these people. Mental health issues can lead to prolonged symptoms following concussion. However, proper education and guidance by a trained 
concussion, concussion clini clinician can potentially mitigate some of these effects. Another story, we find that patients coming in at their first visit, I'll take their symptom score and when they, they first come in, their symptom score is really, really high, like 70 to 90. And in our first visit, one of the things that we do with every single person, and we take the time to do this, is we provide an education. This is what a concussion is. This is why you feel the way you feel. These are the potential causes. These are the potential treatments that we can do. This is how we're going to handle it in a step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step approach. We're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, and we're going to slowly, gradually cut these things off our list until we arrive at what is your clinical picture and give you the best evidence-based treatment protocol that exists. We will see that patient the next day for their treadmill test or for whatever test we're happening to start with. We will see them the next day and their symptom score will be half of what it was the day before. Simply by providing the education and the, the expertise and having the patient know that they're in the right place and here's what we're gonna do for you and here's how it's gonna go, half of their symptoms are immediately eliminated. And so I think that we have to be good as healthcare professionals. We have to know our shit. Okay, mental health and concussion are so intertwined that it is almost impossible to separate them. Concussion is mental health in a lot of cases. Listen to your patients, be empathetic with your patients, provide education to your patients, and give them the best chance of the optimum recovery. If you believe that your patient has symptoms that are anxiety and depression driven, refer them to a mental health professional. Mental health is no more shameful than having any other injury or health condition. And I think that continuing to have these conversations and initiatives like Bell Let's Talk uh, will hopefully help more people to feel empowered to talk about this and consider it as a possible driver of their concussion symptoms and also as a possible barrier to their recovery. So look internally, find a good professional to work with, Meditate, eat healthy, exercise. Don't be afraid of symptoms. Sometimes it takes a little bit of pushing in your symptoms to feel better. Your brain is not damaged. You are not alone. Talk to people, share your story, join a support group, talk to your doctor. Sometimes the road is long and winding and seemingly endless, but I promise you that there is help out there. Bell Let's Talk Day, use the hashtag, hashtag Bell Let's Talk. Send text messages if you're a Bell user, get the Facebook posts, watch the video, do whatever you can because five cents from every single one of those things goes to promote mental health initiatives uh, and to find more support and funding for this important, important, important area and aspect of life. Thank you very much. I hope I did it justice. It's a difficult topic to cover. There's also a lot of information and it's a sensitive one for a lot of people and so I hope I did it justice. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. You can always watch us live on Instagram every Wednesday at noon. Um, cheers, guys. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.